Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Longest Night, a Game of Thrones show in conjunction with our friends at the Narth subreddit. My name is Rob and I have seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. My name is Lizzie and I'm watching every episode of Game of Thrones for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter, we are at LongestNightGOT, that is at LongestNightGOT, if you want to come and chat with us away from our episodes or drop us a line about anything you want. Um, just reminding you that a couple of weeks ago we interviewed and chatted with Miltos Yerolemu, who played Sirio Pharrell in season one of the show. That's the first part of the interview that's gone live. Part two will be out in a couple of weeks where me and him shoot the shit about everything that happened on Game of Thrones after he left the show. And next week, I'm sure you all remember from last week when we first said that me and Lizzie are going to be watching the next episode together because it's on the day that the UK government lift the uh, coronavirus social distancing restrictions, or at least a fair portion of them anyway. Mm. And it means that it will be no longer illegal for me and Lizzie to be sat in the same room watching television together. How wonderful is that? Um, Well, you'll find out how wonderful it is, actually, because I'm sure we'll do something live from the scene whenever we get around (laughs) to uh, watching the episode together. Maybe we'll do a quick video or a quick selfie or something to give you a little bit of an indication of the amount of fun that we have watching that episode together. Uh, Lizzie, how are we doing today from last week? Um, yeah, very good. Yeah, um, definitely looking forward to um, to actually seeing you in person again. It's been, what's it been, about two years since I've seen you? Yeah, a long time. Um, <sighs> so, and I think, well, and it'll be the first time that we've ever watched, it, get, watched the Game of Thrones episode together in the flesh. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, just looking forward to it, full steam ahead. I've got it marked down in my diary for, for the 17th of May when we'll be doing it. So everybody, Monday afternoon-ish, Tuesday morning, you look around and you might see a selfie from Lizzie and me or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we get on to next week, we'll stick with this week and we'll get into the episode that we're going to be talking about today. This week, we are going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 8 of Game of Thrones, which is entitled Second Sons. It was written by series creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss and directed by Michelle McLaren. It was first broadcast on the 19th of May 2013 to an audience of 5.1 million viewers. Uh, it's a really good episode, this. It feels very um, very tight. You know, sometimes you get those episodes where you're sort of darting all over the place and... It feels like you can't you can't really pick up on much of a common thread between you know the segments, but hmm. yeah, I um, particularly like the events in King's Landing this week, which I know we'll come to. But yeah, um, but yeah, also just the little scenes, the ones we usually um, don't really have much to say about. There's a lot going on in them. Cool. Well, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think that shaving off quite a lot of plot lines in this episode there's no rob and catelyn this week there's no No. john no no um so you know there's a lot of um a lot of the stuff around the fringes definitely gets sort of shaved off so that we can get right in spend a long 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 time in king's landing this week uh it's bookended by two scenes beyond the wall we get a little bit with the hound and aria on horseback and we get a bit from dragonstone and yunkai but it's not preoccupied with glow popping or anything like that i think um it's so far it is my second favorite episode of the season behind Mm. um and now his watch is ended i think the wedding stuff with sansa and Tyrion is torturously painful and also really hilarious at the same time yeah yeah and it really delivers on storylines that have been built up in king's landing ever since really like the start of season two when Tyrion and tywin arrived back and i think that You've got some, I mean, they're short-lived, but I think you've got some effectively revolting characters turning up in Yunkai, yep. uh, dealing with Daenerys this week. Um, and the final scene uh, is amazing. The oh, rush yeah, yeah. is, and like, and it's one of those where like in the moment you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then once you sort of sit and work out the potential wider implications, it gives you massive pause for thought about like, where is this show going? And... Yeah. Where's it going to end up? And it's a big, it's a it's a game changing episode. This I think. Um, I just yeah no, I, I really do. I love it from start to finish. Really, yeah, it's a great one. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. 
give you one try, girl. Kill me and you're free. But if I live, I'll break both your hands. Go on, hit me. Hit me hard. Uh, the Hound wakes up to find Arya standing over him with a big rock. And he gives her one chance to strike him, saying that she'd better strike him hard or else he'll break her fingers off for trying to kill him. Uh, but in the end, uh, we find out that she put the, sto put the stone down. <laughs> and the two of them are on horseback. And the Hound reveals that he's taken her to the twins so that he can give her back to uh, Rob and Catelyn and ransom her off for gold. Just like uh, the Brotherhood we're going to mm. do but you kind of expect it from the hound so you're not disappointed when he says oh i'm not really in this for you <laughs> yeah yeah because the hound has never made any promises about being in everything for himself so uh <laughs> um right so yeah it's just a short scene but what do, what do you make of it well you say you kind of expect it from the hound and also he's you know at least he's being upfront about it oh yeah i think the brotherhood were kind of skirting around it and then it just it it, it took Arya kind of figuring it out and then obviously she was uh, quite pissed off about that. But yeah, you've got the Hound basically explicitly telling her that, yes, I am going to hand you over money and, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm getting you back to your brother, aren't I? Yeah, she appreciates his candour yeah, in yeah. this kind of situation. Yeah, I think it's um it's a lovely kind of short scene and I think also one of my favourite little touches in it is the moment where Arya thinks that they're near King's Landing and that yeah, they're yeah. on the Blackwater Rush. And it makes you realise just kind of how unaware of her surroundings she's been for about a season now. Like, basically, when she left Harrenhal and then all of a sudden, when she was with the Brotherhood, they were transporting her everywhere in, like, with a sack over her head. Mm. And so she's thought that maybe she's closer to King's Landing than she thought and she doesn't know that... She doesn't know about this, um, the Ed, Ed, Edmure marrying one of the Frey girls and the Hound is sort of like, Jesus, how have you not heard about it? You know, and Arya's like being caught up on the world while she's been in this underground cave with the Brotherhood. Yeah. <laughs> and now, um, yeah, now the Hound is sort of like, um, I mean, I think it's fair enough for the Hound. I think that, I mean, I think we sort of came to the conclusion that what the Brotherhood were doing by trading Arya back to Catelyn and Rob for money wasn't necessarily wrong. No. But no. it was just the fact that they were kind of going about it in a, a bit of a dishonest and underhanded way, whereas the Hound is just sort of like, look, listen, here's the deal. You annoy me already, and mm. I just want to get rid of you, and I might as well get some money for it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't like you, you don't like me, but we have a sort of mutual benefit from this. Yeah, exactly, and the Hound can just sort of go wherever he wants to go when he's uh, got his cash. Because yeah, the yeah. thing is, I don't really know where the Hound goes from here, because, like, he doesn't want to go back to King's Landing, and mm. he doesn't want to go home. Mm. Is he just going to roam the countryside on a horse? Yeah, maybe he could be, like, um, sort of... Oh, you've not, you've not seen The Wire. I was going to mention Omar, but, like, a sort <laughs> of... Um, like a lone wolf type figure who just sort of prowls the streets and makes sure all's right with the world. Yeah. Do you know, I think we've talked about this scene for longer than it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really nice scene, though. Um, I think I've, I mentioned Maisie Williams' performance in my notes as well, because she's, you know, she's holding the rock over Sandor's head and she mm. doesn't say anything, but like her facial expressions alone just say so much about, you know, she... She hates his guts and she wants to kill him and she's dreamt and fantasised about killing him, but she's also well aware that he is the best chance she has of getting back to her family. And also, I think that... Um, I mean, that's one of the calculations that she makes, but also I think the other calculation is that if she doesn't hit him hard enough... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she'd... Um, what yeah. did he say? He'd, he'd break her hands. Break her hands, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'd do without my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just um, ask Jamie. Yeah. You'll find out. Uh, well, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not too far away from each other. Uh, they are wandering <laughs> around the Riverlands, but yeah. <laughs> Dario Naharis, the whore who doesn't like whores. I like them very much. I just refuse to pay them. I am no whore, my friend. She sells her sheath, and you sell your blade. What's the difference? I fight for beauty. <laughs> for the beauty? We fight for gold. The gods gave men two gifts to entertain ourselves before we die. 
thrill of fucking a woman who wants to be fucked. The thrill of killing a man who wants to kill you. Uh, Daenerys' army is outside Yunkai, uh, making preparations for, like, an invasion, where they're going to take over the city, when the army of the Second Sons arrives, and they're a mercenary army who the Yunkai slavers have paid uh, to defend the city from the Unsullied and Daenerys' forces. Uh, then Dan uh, Daenerys negotiates with Miro, who's the, the captain of the uh, Second Sons, and gives him two days to decide whether to fight for her or fight for the slavers, and Miro decides to assassinate Daenerys instead, and sends Dario Naharis to carry out the deed. Instead, Dario Naharis kills Miro and another one of his captain buddies, and reveals his infatuation with Daenerys, and pledges the Second Sons into her service. So they'll fight for Daenerys instead. Um, lots of stuff going on in Yunkai and a couple of brief scenes. I think there's only three scenes in Yunkai this week, but there's a big load of progress going on there. Um, Daenerys has got another army in her service. Uh, we mm. have a, a new character in Dario Naharis. Uh, what do you make of Yunkai this week? Well, we almost had three new characters. I, I suppose we did have mm. three new characters. One of them was yeah. particularly hideous. Can we talk yeah. about Miro for a minute? Yeah, go ahead and talk about Miro. What What are your oh, thoughts on him? God, what a prick! Um, I wrote for some <laughs> reason. I wrote like if if Game of Thrones was made by Channel Five, he would have been the protagonist. Yeah, or like the main villain or something. I know what you mean. Yeah, he's he's a bit a bit much for this world. He's almost like too modern. I would have said. Do you know, it's weird that I've written in my notes that Miro is barely real. Yeah, yeah. It, it barely feels like a real person because of how so upfront and so aggressively and kind of horribly brazenly overconfident and very horrible, mm. um, has absolutely no filter, doesn't care, doesn't even know what the word filter means, actually. He's just straight out there saying what's in his mind all of his horrible thoughts to anyone and anyone who listen. Um, yeah, he's, um, well, he's someone who I, it's when his head turns up in that sack. Mm. The other guy, you don't really have much, you don't seem to have much of an opinion about the other guy. He seems a bit no, older. No. Yeah, uh, he seems to have just been kind of caught, caught in the crossfire a little bit. Um, but Miro, when his head turns up in that sack and it's like, oh, quite like this Dario character now. Um, when he was introduced, did mm. you get the feeling that he would be... I mean, kind of, I guess you're kind of looking on it with hindsight now, but when he's introduced, did you sort of feel like he was the one who was going to stay around the longest? No, I actually thought it'd be the other one. You know, the uh, the quiet oh, one. Oh, Miro. No, no, no. Oh, the, oh, the, uh, the other one, the middle one. Yes. Um, hang on a minute, I've probably got a name somewhere. Um, I don't know his name. <laughs> his name... Ah, um, Prendon again. Okay, I'll take your word for that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> might, I might be I completely do. misremembering that. But yeah, I just thought because he was, um, you know, the other two were very sort of chauvinist, cocky, um, pretty mm. boy types. And he was a bit of an outlier in this group. Yes, he is. And yeah. um, I mean, I guess, you know, with hindsight, because I know that Dario becomes a character in the show. Mm. Um I'm noticing the way that the camera lingers on him and whenever Miro says something, they do go to Dario for a reaction and then mm. in the scene where he is uh, dealing the coins and he gets to be the one who goes to assassinate Daenerys, it's just the way the camera behaves around him. It feels very much like they're introducing a new character, but I realise that my view of that is infected by hindsight. Um, I should say um, that Dario Naharis is in season four. Right. But they change his actor. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I like the change. It just seems that Ed Screen was just, like, not available, and that's fine. Yeah. But um, just to warn you that there will be a change of cast for Dario Naharis in season four. Um, I'll warn you ahead of time, because it's not really introduced that clearly in the first episode of season four, from memory. Okay. Um, so just sort of warning you a bit ahead of time that um, Dario Naharis is in season four and that it's a different actor who plays him. <laughs> right, cool. Um, I love, by the way, um, Danny's like brass bathtub 
I would yeah, love yeah. that. That think that's great. Um, and also just having a, a you know a personal handmaiden giving me a wash. That's also that. I, I don't think Natalie Emmanuel comes with the bathtub, but like <laughs> I think the just the design of the bathtub. I think if you had like brass taps and like a brass chain to like flush the toilet and stuff, that could be quite and a brass mirror frame in the bathroom. I think that would be very nice. It'd be a lovely. I think it's a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger, because I'm probably a bit taller than Amelia Clark, And so, you know, but then I, I don't think I'd fill the water that high either. But also, it's a gorgeous bathtub. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't you be afraid of rust? That's true, yeah. Mm. I don't know how well they've worked that out. Um, I don't know what medieval brass is like with um, containing water and stuff. But it's still, mm. it's, it's, it's a glorious, it, I think it's uh, like, it's a really, really lovely piece of kit. Um, and I think the um, the particular the scene with the bathtub and everything. There's a really good show of strength from Daenerys in this because I know you know we talk a lot about the way that nudity is framed in this show and mm. the way that especially nude women are, are represented on camera and the way the camera behaves around them. But I feel like the when Daenerys gets out of the tub, like fully, as um, Dougal would say in Father Ted, fully in the nip. Um, it's <laughs> A real show of strength. It's like she's standing right up to Dario Naharis, sort of saying, I have no secrets. Mm. And you've caught me at a moment where I would ordinarily be the most, the most vulnerable. You know, she's very caught out and very much caught by surprise. But as soon as Daenerys stands up, it's like, this is what I am and this is who I am. I am a magical being whose skin is resistant to fire. Mm. So don't you dare cross me or try me. And then Dario Naharis is like, look, you don't even need to give this speech in your mind. You don't even need to think about it. I'm already yours. Just let me bend the knee to you. Let me bring my second sons into your service and I'll be quietly on my way back out of your chambers and we'll have our agreement in stone. <laughs> um, what did you make of the, the actual scene where Dario makes it in? And uh, pledges himself. Yeah, well, mm, still a bit apprehensive about him because we've been here before with Daenerys, with um, Zarozo and Daxos. You know, someone, yeah, someone coming who's, in, like offering yeah. her the world, and it's like, well, how much of that can you really deliver? Yeah, it's curious because I think they have cast him in such a way with. I mean, obviously, Ed Screen is mm. an attractive bloke. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he's not attractive to the point where you think. He's definitely a good guy. There's an edge to mm. him. There's an edge to his appearance and his demeanour in the episode that until the moment when you maybe his uh, Daenerys' trust in him might be reluctant but kind of confirmed, but right up to that moment, his intentions are murky. You know, they, I mean, I think he's not as clearly contrasted against... He's not a total juxtaposition against Miro. Hmm. You know, he still says things that would chime with what Miro believes. And the other guy, whose name you know and I don't, plays something of a mediator between them. But Dario isn't totally modern. He's not like, oh, don't talk about women like that. Oh, why'd you have them parading around? Oh, why'd you do this? Oh, why'd you do that? Like, he's still treats the woman that they have sat with them he still kind of treats her as like a a pet that they've got for this conversation yeah and you can sort of see why i thought it would be prendall who would who would be that person to um you know to lead the charge i suppose mm, always the one you least suspect yeah yeah hmm. but yeah there's some good developments in young kai this week i feel like um after all the stuff that happened in uh episode four when daenerys like got the unsullied and everything it just started to slow down again. And we had a brief scene outside Yunkai last week and a brief scene again outside Yunkai this week. That, But it's Daenerys' storyline in season three has actually made me realise how long it takes and how sparse Calf is mm. compared to season three. And I think that the, the, just the, the content that they had to work with in this season from the books is a lot stronger clearly is a lot stronger because it doesn't feel like as many gaps are being filled in by little scenes here and there it feels like every scene Daenerys has had this season has had some kind of purpose yeah to it 
Yeah, it's, and she's already kind of in a position of power, so you don't really need to show her struggling like you did in season two. Yeah, kind of floundering a little bit. It feels yeah. like she's always been playing a very... She's been quietly playing a game, and now she's quietly playing another game. And it's interesting because, obviously, we spend so much time in Westeros that Essos is such a contrast to Westeros in terms of how it's structured politically. Mm. I mean, slavery is legal there for a start. And it just means that Daenerys is kind of positioned against these kind of... They're sort of... If they were in Westeros, I think they'd be kind of cartoonish. If you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, um, And so it's nice to just watch Daenerys kind of line these pins up and just knock them down. It has been enjoyable this season to kind of watch her do that so far. And now she's got a big pin standing in front of her with young Kai from this point. I feel like there are some storylines where maybe things are a little bit um, clearer. Like in, um, talking about Daenerys, by the way, where she was given the dragon eggs at the start of season one. And we kind of, I mean, you were clocking on straight away that the dragon eggs were going to hatch or have some kind of role to play by the end of season one. In season two, it was like a bit of a mismatch and a bit of a bit of a strange season. But you could kind of see her leaving Karth at the end of the season, feeling a little bit stronger. Whereas Mm. with season three, it just it's been, you know, a little bit less defined in terms of its end. But that makes each step a little bit more unpredictable and a bit more exciting. The thing is, because um, she remarks herself, like, a week ago I didn't have an army, a year ago I didn't have dragons. It's like, you've got that, but what we don't have is a plan, which is where mm. I think this is kind of heading. It's like, what is Daenerys's master plan? What do you think Daenerys's master plan is? Have you tried to work this out, or have you not really given it much thought yet? Well, beyond obviously taking the Iron Throne, I don't know how she would go about that. Mm-hmm. I think okay. it's, yeah. I suppose up to this point, there's been a lot of um, negotiating and, uh, yeah, displays of force. But, um, but yeah, up to this point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you where she's going to go next. She's going to kill him. Sacrifice him. Forgive me, Your Grace, I'm not a lettered man, but is there a difference between kill and sacrifice? The boy's your nephew. What of it? We're at war. Why should I spare the son of some tavern slut Robert bedded one drunken night? Uh, Melisandre returns to Dragonstone and brings Gendry to Stannis. And later that night, uh, she seduces him and places leeches all over his body to draw out his royal blood. And then suddenly Stannis enters the room and throws the three leeches into the fire, speaking the names of the usurpers to his throne, uh, Joffrey Baratheon, Robb Stark and Balon Greyjoy. Um, more weird shit going on at Dragonstone this week. Um, it's weird seeing Gendry in a scene with Stannis, you know? Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Like, characters that you never thought would ever meet, despite their familial relation, because mm. technically nephew and uncle there, but, yeah, just sort of two characters that you would never think, oh, yeah, they'll meet. And it's... I mean, they don't, don't think they properly interact, but... It's just strange to see Gendry's storyline kind of folded in with stuff that Stannis is doing. Um, what do you make of the Dragonstone stuff this week? Well, yeah, I guess it's like um, we've discussed before about the perceived size of the world and that you've assumed that they're on completely opposite ends of it just because of how different, say, the Riverlands and Harrenhal are from Dragonstone. Hmm. But yeah... Um, yeah, it's, got, it's very good stuff this week. And, I, you know, I've been a bit sceptical of um, Stannis and Melisandre up to this point. But, yeah, it's more of just Stannis's increasingly upsetting existence. Just, it seems kind of aimless, but he's too far gone to actually admit that, you know, he might be wrong about something. You know, they have that discussion in the cell, um, Davos and Stannis, about... Mm. Um, I think Davos said something along the lines of, I, I believe that the gods were just made up by parents to keep the children sleeping at night. And then Stannis tells him, how can you deny what I saw in the fire? How can you deny what you saw when Melisandre gave birth? And, it, you know, he's got a point. Like, how can you tell someone they're wrong if what they've seen is what they believe to be true? Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, um, have your impressions of Stannis this season, have they changed much from last season? They're much bleaker than they were last season. Last season, Mm. I just thought he was a, I thought he was a bit of a prick. But this season, it seems like he's got this very insular existence. We've We've not actually seen him outside in this season, have we? Just on the beach begging Melisandre to stay. That's it. That's one scene, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of still licking his wounds after Dragonstone, uh, not after Dragonstone, after Blackwater. So it almost, um, and you know, in in the the scenes in Dragonstone, otherwise the ones indoors, it's all in this kind of low ceiling building. So it feels quite claustrophobic, almost like he's in a prison of his own. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think that's very true, and I think that, um. Just the, I think that this episode more than any this season is kind of exposing what Stannis is really getting himself in for here because mm. Melisandre is a weird presence in his life. Yeah, it's just strange. Like she is just weird. I think that, I mean, in my book, I don't think the Melisandre and Gendry scene with the leeches this. Uh, episode is that different to Theon with the cleaning boy last week it, it mm, yeah it's a there bit... are there, obviously there are slight differences but it yeah, is this yeah. someone is being Gendry is basically the innocent party being pulled into a situation here and mm. it's a lot of stuff happens that is potentially quite damaging and traumatizing in that sense and I feel like he's in in a way, he bec- over the course of the scene, he does become a victim of sexual violence here, and yeah, yeah, it's not very heavily coded in the way that it was with Theon last week, but just with the leeches and everything like that, and like, and then it just get it, it just how uncomfortable that scene gets when Stannis and Davos just wander into the room, and like Gendry's like chained to the bed, and Melisandre's just like cavorting about completely nude, and then like she's like, I don't care. I'm comfortable with the way that everybody sees me. My body's on fire constantly because mm. I'm always warm and no one gives a shit like what I'm what I've got going on. And it's just like and Gendry must just be like in that bed thinking, "What the hell have I walked into here?" <laughs> Where like Melisandre just does a red witch just does this to me and then two blokes just wander in and stare at me and throw leeches on the fire. What is this? And I feel like yeah. um yeah, like you say it's getting harder and harder to relate to Stannis I feel like because I feel like we just get further and further from reality with him every time he steps on screen <laughs> yeah that's it he's so lost in you know Melisandre and her presence that he, he barely even has a personality anymore I feel like that's it's almost why he's gone back to Davos even though Davos um in his eyes was a traitor he also kind of realizes that without him he's a little bit directionless almost Mm, yeah no I completely agree and I think that also contrasting Stannis against Davos in this episode because Davos is becoming sort of more his own character and his own person a lot of his individual wants and needs are less Mm. to do with Stannis now like he's learning to read yes and it's something that's happened independent of Stannis and the more that we like him the more that we're able to use the writers kind of use his eyes to show us the stuff that's happening to Stannis. And we're kind of, it's strange because Davos, as far as I'm aware, is not a point of view character in the books, but it feels like he's the POV character in these scenes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Makes you wonder who we're supposed to be uh, sympathizing with there, I guess, but um, we'll move on. I think we'll move on to King's Landing. We'll go back to the mainland. There will be no bedding ceremony. You respectful tradition, uncle. Come, everyone. Pick her up and carry her to her wedding bed. Get rid of her gown. She won't be needing it any longer. Ladies, attend to my uncle. He's not heavy. There will be no bedding ceremony. There will be if I command it. Then you'll be fucking your own bride with a wooden cock. 
before Tyrion and Sansa are married in the Sept of Baelor, Cersei threatens Marjorie by recounting the tale of how the Lannisters once destroyed a house who rebelled against them, implying that they could do the same to the Tyrells if they're not very careful. Then Tyrion and Sansa are reluctantly wed in the Sept of Baelor, and at the wedding feast, Tyrion gets incredibly drunk. Away from the dinner, Joffrey threatens to rape Sansa that night and attempts to force the bedding ceremony to happen early, uh, but his plan is thwarted when Tyrion threatens him and Tywin is forced to defuse the situation. And later that night, Tyrion can't bring himself to consummate their marriage and instead passes out. Not that Sansa would have wanted him to anyway, as she says to him. So mm. I think this is where the real meat of the episode is. I think that as much as the best scene is what we're saving for last, um, the stuff in King's Landing is awesome. I think it's like this painfully funny, miserable, bleak, dark comedy wedding day no matter how much Tyrion tries to make it better for himself I think you've got people throwing knives with words all over the shop today Cersei cutting Marjorie down mm -hmm. I think that's the first big notch that Cersei's landed against Marjorie oh yeah yeah had a conversation and Cersei feels like she can walk away from the conversation thinking I won that conversation yeah and she, she didn't allow um Marjorie to kind of twist it in her own direction no, exactly. It's a it's a firm it's a firm warning. Cersei basically saying, "Look who you're messing with. Mm. Don't get any closer." Um, I think that the bit where Tyrion has to bring Sansa under his protection, quote unquote, is just like it's one of those moments where you're like, "Oh my god, this is so embarrassing." And Elena explaining the web of families and relationships is hysterical. Um, Cersei and Loras kind of realising that they'll have to go through this exact charade very soon. Um, t Tywin sort of having to calm everybody down and I'm sure Tyrion <laughs> did not mean to threaten the king. And right down to the first thing that Tyrion notices about Sansa is, she's, is that she's got an astoundingly long neck. Um, and then the comedy of the wedding gets kind of punctured and it's a load of once Tyrion and Sansa are in that room together and the music is playing behind them. Oh, God, them, yeah. Yep. It's so sad. It's just like two people who were just forced into this situation, forced to stare at each other. Mm. And then Tyrion falls asleep and it's all very sad. And then Shay comes in and like makes loads of noise and brings the comedy back and brings the life back. But yeah, what notes have you got in King's Landing this week? What really stood out for you in the wedding scenes? God, I mean, where do you start with this? This is just all over the place this week um yeah um i i completely agree with you um loved cersei in these scenes just cutting down um cutting down marjorie and then with loris just yeah why not just kick a man while he's down it's like i don't care what your father did just fuck off <laughs> I, I want nothing to do don't with want you. to have to look at you yeah, that that's that's it. It's like she know, she knows full well she doesn't want to be in the situation, and she's gonna make it clear to um, Loris that she doesn't. You know, she wants no part of this. Where I feel like Tyrion's almost like apologetic for having to be put in this situation, even though he's got no say in the matter, because that's just mm. how Tyrion is. He's very um, sort of polite and almost bumbling, but. Yeah, it's when he starts to drink and you see that darker side of him that he's very sort of bitter and unhappy. And I think it's, um, you know, all leading to that scene with him and Sansa. And you're led to believe that, oh, God, he's he's sort of too far gone and he's not going to have any instincts about him. And mm. it's just in that moment and he, he just says, stop. And it's like, oh, thank God, the relief. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the show, they pull it back a little bit further than it goes in the books. I think in the books, they sort of start to, but mm. then Tyrion realizes that he can't. I think Tyrion, like, he touches her and he, and he realizes what's happening and he's sort of like, no, I can't go any further than this. And I feel like Sansa is younger in the books as well. I think she's 12 in the books rather than 14. Mm um and so you know a big benefit i think of well as well if uh, the show aging the characters up because it's just it's less uncomfortable well um i mean that's a point for me do you think they actually kind of shied away from that because it's television and 
that sort of thing would be very much frowned upon even to insinuate. Yeah, I think so. And I think that also the job that the show is doing with Tyrion, Tyrion is a lot more morally complex in Mm. the books. He is a character that you sympathise with, but he's less... It's kind of like Jon Snow as well, up at the wall. Jon is a bit darker on the inside. Because, like, you know, in the books, you follow Jon and Tyrion's inner monologues. And so you get all the dark thoughts that run Mm. through their minds at various steps of the story. Whereas in the show, obviously, because you can't communicate an internal monologue without a voiceover, which would not fit in this show. Um, It could work. It'd be like Peep Show. (laughs) uh, Well, very true. Yeah, you know, I'm sure if they'd have done it, they would have done it at the start, you know? Like, I think just throw it in now would have been a bit difficult. But I think that it means that in his head, Tyrion kind of thinks it over. And if we were reading the words on the page, we could maybe work out that he's trying to force himself to find Sansa attractive, even though, she, even though she's like, a, a you know, a, a preteen, essentially. Mm. Um, but in the show, we just kind of see it cross his face for a second. And then he goes, no. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to resist the temptation. And so the impression that we're left with is that Tyrion's a good guy who will not go into the bed of someone who doesn't want him there, if you know what I mean. So he's... I always think that um, Tyrion is like... You know how you were saying about Miro before? Tyrion, I've always considered him as like a 21st century mind in a medieval show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the show... Whereas in the books, it's less 21st century mind, more maybe 19th century mind or 20th century mind or something like that. Yeah. Um, And so I think the show does a good job of making sure that it sticks to that within boundaries. Um, I think Tyrion really gets his moment in this episode where um, not quite as good as him slapping Joffrey across the face, Mm. but the slamming the knife into the table, wherever the hell he pulls that from, like the side of the plate that he's got and, the way that he delivers the line and the way that then he has to walk back from the line by laughing and Tywin has to cover for him. And yeah, no, I think uh, Peter Dinklage really, really owns this episode, I think. Um, yeah. He's real well, MVP sort of material. Well, well, in that moment, like, yeah, you're obviously cheering for him, but it's fucking scary. You've never really seen that much from Tyrion before. I think the only other time I'd say we did was... Um, I think it was when Cersei captured um, Roz and, you know, he threatened revenge. Mm. But yeah, it's it, he, like his eyes and, you know, bulging basically out of his head and that <laughs> look like, I if I could, I would murder you. And he probably could, you know. Yeah, if Joffrey had been any closer, the impulse yeah. may have uh, taken over yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, I love the. Um, by the way, to go back to the comedy, I um, love the callback to episode eight of season two. Funnily enough, which was the um, the god of tits and wine. Um, oh yeah, line. yeah. I am the god of tits and wine. Um, <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, I still, after all this, all these years, by the way, have never made sense of Olena explaining everybody's relationships to each other now apart from the very very end where it's like your brother will be your father-in-law that much is true (laughs) that much is beyond dispute um what did you make of that line it almost passed me by it just you know in amongst all this mayhem this week but yeah it, it it you know it does make sense that she's kind of the overseer of all of this and like almost looking at the camera like that yes this is what's happening and it's it's as mad as you think it is <laughs> yeah it's kind of like she's turned to the audience for a second like oh where's the fourth wall gone yeah um and she's uh reading off all of the uh various things but you mentioned that um cersei and laura scene um this you said to me was your line of the episode right yes i did yeah um, okay. I, I know you've had a... Actually, no, it was between two, and I'm actually sort of tempted to go with the other one. Which um, was? Which was, um, seriously, to Marjorie, if you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep. 
Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Because um, I rewatched it today and I thought, you know, actually, no, that's my line of the episode. <laughs> um, to be honest, my favourite line of the whole episode is the one at Dragonstone where um, Stannis asks Melisandre, you've slaughtered many lambs, have you? And none have seen the blade. I think that's just, I, I love that. I just love it. It's yeah. a great turn of phrase. It's yeah. a great little line. Very smooth. Um, but that Cersei one is uh, very much a close second. The rage that just yeah. kind of runs through. Um, but that basically, what that story that she's explaining is, um, you know, the song that they were singing in Blackwater. Yeah, I feel like this is going to come up again at some point very soon. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it the title of the next episode? Uh, yes, it is the title of the next episode. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. I, I did see that one. I don't <laughs> yes, know anything else about it. Who is, uh, <laughs> everyone listening who definitely hasn't seen the show before um, <laughs> now know the uh, title of next week's episode. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but as I said, before we get to uh, next week, we've got one more place to go mm. this week, and it is way up at the north of the continent, beyond the wall. You winked at me before. I doubt it. Oh, I, saw, I saw him. Wink at me. He blinked. I suppose it's a rather philosophical difference between a wink and a blink. What? I mean, there's no real difference. A wink is on purpose. Sam and Gilly find a small hut beyond the wall and decide to spend the night there and after trying to build a fire but and uh, discussing potential names for Gilly's baby uh, a flock of ravens descend on the weirwood tree outside uh, when Sam goes to investigate he encounters a white walker who has come to claim the last of Craster's sons uh, and after the white walker shatters Sam's sword heads towards Gilly in an attempt to take the baby but at the last moment Sam realises that he still has the dragonglass daggers on him from when he found them at the Fist of the First Men, and he thinks, ah, fuck it, might as well try something, and he slams the dragonglass dragon dagger into the White Walker's back, and then watches as the dagger causes the White Walker to disintegrate, and then they run off into the night as the flock of ravens follow. Um, so, yeah, Lizzie, I would have loved to have followed your heart rate during this scene. It's not so much the white in the scene that I found scary. It was the, the fucking crows. Yeah, they're used brilliantly, aren't they? The way yeah, that they very, just get um, so loud. <laughs> it kind of, um, not so much the noise, but the actual visual of it just sort of lined up and perched and watching. It's very um, Hitchcock, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's just brilliantly like ominous and threatening. It's just this like this sense of dread that just goes larger and larger mm. and larger into the scene. And they're even there at the start of the episode, where a couple of them land on the branch right at the start of the episode, and then we don't see them again until the very end oh, yeah. of the episode. Yeah. And I thought um, we should make a brief mention for the stuff that happens before the White Walker turns up, which is um, them discussing baby names, and we find out that uh, Samwell. Um, his dad's name is Randall <laughs> um, and Sam goes uh, please don't name him Randall um, but I have to ask uh, when the White Walker did turn up um, hmm. did you think that was sort of it for them or did you see a way out um, I don't know I thought maybe it would be um, I thought it would be it for one of them you know possibly hmm. the son but um well, no, beyond that, I didn't really think it was the end for, for Sam and Gilly, necessarily. Well, the, the this this incident, Sam killing a White Walker, mm. is lifted from a different part of the book. It happens, um, basically, it happens in the books at, at the Fist of the First Men. You know when there's the fight at the start of the season that we miss? Yeah, yeah. It happens then, during the... The battle that they... Well, the, I say battle, they lose. It's more of a massacre. But it happens then. Mm. And it's sort of like a moment of like, oh. But I think it's really, really well placed in the season here. Because just at the end of the season, when Sam and Gilly are, 
you think, oh, they're just at a point where they're sort of comfortable and they'll be heading south and they'll get back to Castle Black and maybe mm. they'll be okay. And then you hit a serious low when that vision of that White Walker just appears against the black of the trees and yeah. sort of starts making its way towards Sam and it's so scary. Um, and then all of a sudden Sam changes the game. Yeah, um, yeah. First, this is the, f- uh, so far, this is the first and only example of a white walker being killed and we That's know true. now yeah. why the bag of dragon glass daggers was at the fist of the first men uh-huh. and sam was right to follow his instinct yeah and pick it up and say well this must be useful for something um the yeah it's just it's an amazing it's an amazing moment like i mean did you did it click if you can remember did it click in your head when the you get that shot, you get that close up of the mm. dragon glass dagger? Did it click in your mind then, like, oh, or did it? Did you have to wait for the White Walker to disappear before you kind of knew? Not necessarily. I thought it was more just desperation from Sam, just kind of picking up anything he could find. Like if it if it had been a tree branch, I'm sure he would have tried that. And you know, if you're in that sort of fight or flight situation you've got to um just give whatever you can i think well obviously the zoom into the actual dragon glass kind of gives it away it's like yes this is this is what's going to do it this is important look at this but (laughs) but no in that moment i didn't really think much of it um yeah but now now you've said that it's it's kind of obvious (laughs) but then when the dagger goes in, um, mm. how was that then? Well, um, it was unexpected because I think I had it in my head that the only way to kill them was fire. Well, there's another way to do it now. Um, ah. Although I will say, um, you'll start to learn the rules a little bit more of what kills whites mm. compared to white walkers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the rules are a bit up and down with regards to what even to be honest with people like in the show like who's fireproof who's not why are they fireproof um what are the rules like you because you've got beric dondarian with his flaming sword like how's that possible um is it mm. blood magic and it's kind of like that with daenerys like daenerys is fireproof has she always been fireproof is she only fireproof every now and again so these are kind of rules that you'll pick up as the show goes along and all of it gets explained it's very easy to follow um you may have someone need to explain it to you but that's why i'm here just to help you along the process of kind of watching the show if you have any uh if you have any questions but this i just i think this moment is amazing i think this is my favorite scene in the episode one of my favorite scenes the whole season one of my favorite scenes in the show I think it ends on such a such a weird note as well with the ravens following them. Mm. It's like they're kind of out of the situation, but they're being chased out of the situation, and they are in a it's sort of like they. You think that I mean, obviously, killing a White Walker is like a huge momentous moment for this for the show, and yet they kind of get chased away. There is no triumph. There is no moment to think. It's just Sam just kind of grabs Gilly and goes, right, we're getting out of here. We're off. (laughs) We're going. Um, I should mention as well, I think this is the third Weirwood tree that we've seen in the show. There's one at Winterfell. There's one slightly beyond the wall where Jon did his Night's Watch vows with Sam. And then there's this other one that we've just seen. Mm. Um, So the Weirwood trees are... Again, something that they become more important as the show goes on. At the moment, they're just kind of like a nice mystery. Okay. Something to entice you and keep you watching. Um, right, do you have anything more to say about uh, Sam's heroics beyond the wall? Um, no, I don't, but yeah, well done, Sam. Yeah, well done, Sam. Sam mm. the Slayer. <laughs> um, awesome. All right, then. Um I am going to ask you then for your hmm. loser of the week. Who is your loser this week? Who sucks? <laughs> uh, we have two first-timers here this week. Um, my loser of the week is Miro. And for the last yeah. time, hopefully. 
yeah, a very unpleasant character. Great performance, but I never want to see him again. Um, and who is your winner this week? Um, I will give props to Cersei because those those lines were oh, magnificent. Chef's kiss to you. But um, I'm going to give this one to Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a first timer. Okay, yeah. Mm. Samuel Tarly. Well, well. Sam the Slayer gets his first... Uh, I can't believe that's uh, Sam's first actual uh, nomination for Winner of the Week, actually. But I suppose he's not that prominent a character. He's in the show and he's likeable, but he's kind of been a bit of a sidekick to John. And Yeah, that's it. He's never really been the standout of an episode, like the, you know, the star. But in this, oh God, yeah, he absolutely nails it. So, yeah, it's Sam. All right then. So we'll be back next week for season three, episode nine, which is entitled The Reigns of Castamere. And... Can you believe it? We will be watching it together. Um, we won't be recording the episode together just because Lizzie, as you've probably gathered, uh, if you're listening to this show for a long time now, Lizzie likes to watch episodes twice before we do mm. a proper episode on them. So we'll be watching the episode together and we might do like a short little like, um, uh, like, oh, what's your immediate reaction to the episode? Like just a quick two or three minute thing. Um, and we'll take a couple of videos, maybe do a selfie, uh, that sort of thing, just to mark the occasion. Uh, but next week should just be business as normal um, with regards to recording the episode, but we might throw a little couple of treats in just because we're finally getting together. Can you believe it, Lizzie? Can you believe it? I know. Well, you know, touch wood, because um, this government doesn't surprise me anymore. But, yeah, fingers crossed we'll be... Um... Yeah, finally watching an episode together. And yeah, send us all your good, good wishes, one. everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right then. Uh, wonderful. We'll see you next week for season three, episode nine. Almost at the end of season three. Can't believe it. Yeah, Cannot believe crazy. we are that close. Oh, awesome. See you soon. See ya.